Morning, church family. It's good to be with you. It is good to be with church family. It is good to be um, among friends who seek Jesus together. And... Um, desire the Spirit of God to lead us. So what a joy to be gathered with you this morning, as that is my sense of what God is doing every time we gather. But uh, got a lot going on this morning. So we'll see what, what, uh, what God, by His grace, will allow me to do. Uh, as long as I'm able to continue speaking. My friend Michael sometimes self-declares de- self himself the crying elder, and this morning there may be some competition. <laughs> yeah, I might try to take that battle for that title from them. No, well, by the grace of God, we'll be all right, but uh, there's a lot going on. So good morning. How are we doing? Ready good? Everybody ready to open God's Word and to hear from Him? There are, uh, I read this week that there are some surveys that would say that eight out of ten of us are directly or indirectly affected by today's topic. I read this week that some surveys would say that as many as eight out of ten of us are directly or indirectly affected by the topic. And uh, just two examples of my own life that come to my mind. Um just two probably among many, would be, first of all, that my parents split when I was five years old, and that no doubt impacted the trajectory of my life in many ways. And I know that too many of you can relate. Another thing that came to mind this week as I was preparing uh, was that years ago, I had to make a phone call to a friend who was in process of leaving his family, urging him to reconsider, urging him to to not be blinded thinking that the grass was greener, telling him that from my experience in my circumstances, it was not indeed better for the kids no matter what he tried to tell himself. We're in a series of messages that we've called Kingdom Life as we teach through Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And some surveys would say that eight out of ten of us relate indirectly or directly to the topic of divorce that Jesus comes to you today in our passage in God's Word and his Sermon on the Mount. And I, and I bet it goes to ten out of ten if we include friends and our spheres of influence, and our various relationships. So this morning may be painful. It it may be a sensitive topic for you. It may be hard to listen to. Um, Whether, no, no no matter what your direct or indirect involvement or experience with the topic of divorce is, um, 
Maybe many things could be brought to your mind. Maybe the evil one, Satan, would want to attack you and, and cause guilt and shame. And that is not why we're gathered together this morning. The evil one would want to pull you away from God, not draw you closer. The evil one would want to think, make you think that you are somehow undeserving of his love. But what I want us to see this morning as we address this topic is I want us to look and listen for God's heart. There's kind of a negative aspect of this morning. It's, it's do not get divorced. I mean, there's the punchline. But underneath this sort of negative aspect, you could say, is, is God's heart, his love, and a tremendous amount of grace that he has for you no matter your circumstances or no matter where you fall on that, pen, on that what word am I trying to say? On that, on that spectrum line of, of, of marriage, divorce, experience, etc. So let's keep that grace in mind. Grace that forgives. Grace that forgives. And grace that works in us today to live out his ways, to live out what he has is best for us. Um, and I just, I want you to know... <laughs> um, I want you to know if you're, if you're, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your, your current situation is, your past situation is on this topic of marriage or divorce, I want you to know I'm not talking about you this morning. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to connect individual situations and dots and address people and think that we're going to try to solve your situation. Uh, instead, what we're going to look at today and the different examples you hear and, and the different problems that we have to look at are because of study that I've done this week. And they're because of what God has to say to us this morning. And they're because of many of you in our church family, not just a couple or two or three. Um, we have examples in our church family of tough endings to marriage. We have examples of hope and healing and restoration, we have examples of ongoing strain and tension. And we have examples of growing friendships and decreased selfishness and, and, and examples of many long marriages. So as we said, shame and guilt is not something God's looking for. This is not, a, 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 I think not a passage of condemnation for your past. I hope as we look to God's word, we will find it to be strength for the present and hope for the future. Did you hear that? The evil one would want to bring about guilt and shame and condemnation, but I think what God has for us in his word this morning is strength for now and hope for the future. So grab your Bible. If you don't have it out already, get it out. Open to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 31 in here in a minute. Love you to bring your Bible with you. Really the best way to hear from God is to bring your Bible, put it on your lap, open your device to your Bible app, find Matthew chapter 5 starting at verse 31 so that we can walk through the scriptures together. And before we do something I had not planned to do this morning until really just minutes before we gathered. A total God thing. Um, 
God connecting dots. I just love it. Stuff that only he can do. Last Sunday, Michael had us in Ephesians chapter 3. We had an opportunity to continue in that and kind of close our worship time last week in Ephesians chapter 3. And then this morning, in a morning where I've had a difficult week and things swirling in my mind and and asking God to do what he's going to do this morning, uh, just moments before we gathered for worship, a cousin of mine, a godly woman who I love, texted me out of nowhere. We have limited text relationship throughout the year. We don't see them enough. And out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, a total God thing. You know what I'm saying? She texted me and said, I just have a strong sense from the Holy Spirit that I need to pray Ephesians 3 for you and your church family. Told you. You're going to get some competition. So let me pray for us from Ephesians 3. For this reason, we bow our knees before the Father, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, would you grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, so that we being rooted and grounded in love, God, would you give us the strength to comprehend with all the believers what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that you, God, or so that we, God, would be filled with all the fullness of you. So Father, now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you, God, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. We are in the middle of Jesus' section of teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. He has been bringing up various topics. He has been saying, here's what you've heard it taught before, and now let me tell you a little bit more. Let me take what you've learned and fulfill it. Let me take what you've learned and tell you God's heart in it. That's what he's been doing. And so Jesus, um, as we get to verse 31, Jesus has just been teaching on the dangers of lust, adultery. That was two Sundays ago we studied that passage. And, and, our, and, and we talked about our need to do whatever it takes to fight sin and be devoted to our spouse. If, if marriage is where God has you, um, that passage had us fighting the dangers of sin and, and so that we could be devoted to spouse. And so, so quite naturally then, having addressed lust and the, the potential sin of adultery and the damage to marriage that that would do, Jesus proceeds into this topic in verse 31. Jesus says, it was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So what's up with this? What's he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament teachings, uh, Deuteronomy 24 will be on the screen, where uh, it says in God's word, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her... And so he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. 
So, so Jesus is referring to these Old Testament teachings on divorce, and, and he's saying, you've heard it said in the Old Testament that what you got to do if you want to get a divorce is, is give her a certificate. And this is where it's coming from. But Old Testament, let me tell you this, church family, Old Testament rules for divorce were never meant to imply that God approved. These divorce laws were actually put in place to rein in the negative consequences of sin. These divorce laws were to rein in the collateral damage. These divorce laws in the Old Testament, what they were in place for was actually to protect women. Women who, especially in that culture, were highly dependent on their husbands for support, these divorce laws would protect them uh, from being sent away for just no reason. For uh, these, these divorce laws were meant to give them uh, legitimate legal status. So legitimate status as a divorced woman would be better in that time and place than being assumed to be a prostitute or a runaway adulteress. So, so these divorce laws were in place to protect women from exploitation. They didn't imply God's approval of divorce. And the other thing that happened over time is these Old Testament teachings were taught and misunderstood and retaught and misunderstood and tweaked and misunderstood. The other, so one thing that happened over time was lost in the interpretation was the meaning of that word in their indecency. Some teachers of God's word would say um, that divorce was only allowed in cases of adultery. But, but somehow lost over the years, lost in translation, lost in misinterpretation, lost in, in straying away from God's heart, some teachers of God's word would, would teach that that indecency could be anything uh, even up to she spoiled a dish she prepared. Basically, she burned the toast. So, so what, had be, what had strayed away from God's heart for marriage and was being misinterpreted and mistaught, Jesus now comes along to teach what is God's meaning behind that? What, did, what was God's heart? What was God's best? So he continues in, in verse 32. Verse 31, he said, this is what you've heard it said. You just got to give her a certificate. Verse 32, but I say to you, remember Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's not setting the Old Testament law aside. He's not throwing it out. He's fulfilling it. He's bringing out the best of it. He's letting us know God's heart behind it. He says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's probably necessary and good and okay to let those words sink in at face value for a minute. I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, Again, if, if there's some hurt here, if there's some pain, if there's some, some internal struggle from 
whatever your direct or indirect experience with divorce is, grace. God is a God of love and of much, much grace. God is a God who works forgiveness and healing and renewal and restoration. So what we want to get from the Lord today, what we want to look to God's word for today is to hear God's heart, to hear his best, to, to hear what he has for us. The, and I'm not going to attempt to um, give specific advice for particular situations. I would urge you, if there's pain here, if there's experience here, if there's ongoing trouble here, if there's danger alerts here, for your circumstances, seek the Lord, study the Bible, ask for wise counsel from believers that you know, and, and, and see what God has to say to your particular situation. But one way we're going to learn more about here what God or what Jesus has to say about divorce is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. So if you want, you can turn there as well. Turn to the right a few chapters, Matthew chapter 19, and Jesus has another uh, opportunity in this chapter to approach this topic, and so we want to hear his heart here. Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 3. And the Pharisees, these are the, these are the religious leaders of, of God's people at the time, the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, this is something that Pharisees would do occasionally, kind of testing him, kind of putting out this question to kind of see which side he was going to take, or if he'd say the wrong thing. But they're talking to God in the flesh. <laughs> Pretty sure he knows how to answer. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, And the Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him, asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, for any reason? And I don't know. I mean, let's not jump past this. We can blame the Pharisees here and go, What kind of question is that? Or we can wrestle internally with the fact that we might ask those questions at times as well. That, that we might look for excuses. What's behind that question? Is it lawful? Are they really asking a Bible question? Or is there a heart, some kind of heart problem underneath there? What are we asking behind that question? What are we looking for? When it comes to the topic of divorce for us or people that we love around us or people in our spheres of influence, are we asking these questions because we care about what the Bible teaches or are we looking for a loophole? For a way out. I, don't, I probably don't have to tell you. You could Google it and you'd find a million articles. I don't have to tell you some of the many stressors and life circumstances that put strain on marriages. I bet you could name a bunch if I ask you to right now. I mean, let's think about, uh, certainly we've already talked about infidelity, adultery. We, we could add finances. Money is a top stressor for marriages. Uh, parenting makes things difficult, makes it hard for the, for the spouses to work together. Workaholism, lack of intimacy, addiction, the season of life that you're in, and on and on and on. There are things on this side of eternity, there are things before Jesus returns and sets everything right, there are things that we experience in our earthly journey that put strain on marriages, right? Right? 
So, so what do we do? We just give up? Switch up the relationship? Get out of it because it's more convenient and easier? Um, things would be better with someone else. The grass must be greener. Things will be better if we separate. I bet it'll be easier on the kids if we separate. Are those things true? Or is there collateral damage regardless of the circumstances, regardless of who's at fault, regardless of whether God allowed for it or not? There's collateral damage. So I just wanted us to sit for a minute and think about where they're coming from with that question. When they ask, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? I mean, what's underneath there? Looking for a way out? Looking for a loophole? Or, or desiring to know what God's heart is for marriage. So in Matthew 19, Jesus continues in verse 4. He says, he answers their question and says, have you not read? And then let me just interrupt it there and let me just tell you it from, from God's word. Jesus says in verse 4, have you not read? And he starts to quote from the Old Testament. He starts to quote from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And I want you to just take, just, I could have you turn to Genesis 1 and 2, but don't right now. You can later. It's awesome. Go review it. Put that on your list for today or this week. Read chapters 1 and 2. But for now, you, if we were to turn to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we would see um, what, what God led Trevor to pray for this morning was him being the creator of all things. Trevor and I did not talk about what he was going to pray. And God, by his spirit, had Trevor pray in thankfulness and in worship for our God as creator of all things. How cool is that? So I think there's a few ways that God's maybe working around here. Jesus quotes from Genesis, and here's where Jesus takes us, is to the beginning and in the beginning, God created. God created all things. And as God created, you may remember in Genesis chapter 1, he would create this, and then he would say, it is. Yeah, and then he would, another day, he would create this next part of creation, and he'd say, and that was. And then he'd create more, and he'd say it was good, and he'd create more, and he'd say it was good. And then he creates man, human beings, in his image, it says. He created them in his image, meaning that humans were created kind of resembling and representing God. So the creator of all things creates it day by day and says it is good. Then he creates humans in his image. And, and then he creates them male and female. And then a, few, a, few, a couple paragraphs later, we have the, thing, the first time that God says it is not good. It is not good for a man to be alone. And he, and he, and he creates woman. He creates the first marriage. He creates this awesome equal partnership. And we have... Um, the first marriage in Genesis chapter 20, uh, in Genesis 2:24. So here, so back in our Matthew 19 passage, here in Matthew 19, verse 5, Jesus is quoting Genesis 2 and says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What a rich, what a rich, meaningful. Um, Example, what a rich, full picture of the image of God. Male humans created in the image of God. Female humans created in the image of God. United in marriage. This, this incredible, united picture of God's image. 
And, then so, and so Jesus continues in Matthew 19. In verse 5, he's quoting Genesis. And then in verse 6, he just adds this. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Have we heard those? What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So when Jesus is asked the question about divorce, can I, can I divorce for any reason? Is, is all I got to do is give a certificate? His answer goes to the beginning. He takes us to the beginning. He takes us to the heart of God, the creator of all things, the creator of men and women in his image, the, the first marriage that he brought together and that no man should separate. Jesus takes us to the creation account to give us God's heart for marriage. And since marriage was intended then to be intimate, it was intended to be the deepest, the best, the deepest of human bonds, human union. So, so what God intended to be um, intimate and a deep union, obviously divorce tears that apart, what is intended to be permanent. And so then that creates another problem as the passage you know, in Matthew 5 points out, if, if the divorce happens and it's not supposed to happen, if the divorce wasn't okay with God in the first place, then, then it creates a situation where the, those from the broken relationship are now potential in committing adultery. If they were remarry. So Jesus continues in Matthew 19, verse 7. So the Pharisees said to him, to Jesus, well then, why did Moses command that we just give a certificate and send her away? Now notice what they said. They said, why did, we, why did Moses command? First, did, first of all, did Moses command that they give a certificate? He permitted it. God reluctantly permitted it. But again, they're twisting their words and they're attacking in their questions and what's underneath that? What's the heart of the questioning? What, what are they looking for? They said to Jesus, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, from my heart, that is not the way it was intended. Verse 9, and to say to you, and I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, here he says basically the same thing as he did in Matthew 5. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Old Testament rules permitting divorce, not commanding divorce, no matter what the circumstances were. Old Testament rules permitting divorce were never meant to imply God's approval. So Moses did allow for an exception for divorce, and, and Jesus seems to allow for that same exception with his words we just read. In other words, um, Jesus is allowing for, for there to be a, a, an exceptional exception. That divorce is, is off the table, but with very limited or rare exceptions. This is not to be the norm. 
And, and the reason that Jesus gives is because of the hardness of heart of the people who perhaps are choosing their own ways, who are choosing their convenience instead of looking to God's heart and instead of trusting God's best. What does he have? The reason Jesus gives is the hardness of heart. It's a concession to human weakness that he needs to allow for divorce. Not because he wants to allow for divorce, but because of human weakness. It's, it's reluctant permission from God at best. And the condition, and the one exception, at least in this passage, that's mentioned, is the term sexual immorality, which underneath there is the Greek word from the original, from the original language. The Greek word is porneia, from which we get the English word pornography, among other things of sexual sin. So the Greek word underneath there is porneia. That's what's translated in the passage as to be sexual immorality. This passage has also already addressed adultery, and now it's talking about sexual immorality or porneia, which appears to kind of be a range of illicit sexual behavior, anything that would tear apart a marriage. Porneia here is regarding any sexual activity outside of what God deems best. And what we've talked about many times here, just to review, what God deems best for sexual activity is in the covenant agreement of marriage between one man and one woman. That's where sexuality is, is good and blessed and joyful and intended and encouraged. And then porneia refers to anything outside of that. Sinful activity that intentionally divides the marital relationship. So are there times, are there times where you're going to hear the term biblical grounds for divorce? Yes. Are there times where even according to God's standard, a marriage could be allowed to end? Sadly, tragically, yes. The Bible, in this passage and elsewhere, makes rare exception for sexual immorality. I think the Bible also makes a case for abandonment of one spouse or the other, being abandoned by the other. And I think the Bible makes a case for abuse. Uh, if need be, to come to a biblical grounds for divorce. And so again, I don't know what your experience is with marriage and divorce, but God sees you and he knows you and he's a God of much love and much grace. Grace that forgives and does not condemn the past and grace that enables us to find his best in our lives now and moving forward, and grace that will carry us to live out his good intentions um, for marriage into the future. I think um, I should mention this. It wasn't in my notes. Um, I think also something that brings some understanding um, what am I trying to say? 
think another thing to keep in mind is that there are things that, are, that, are, uh, that impact our life and choices that are made sometimes prior to us following Jesus um, that then uh, there would be a lot of grace and forgiveness and love for and that these rules would, would not apply in the same way as they would to followers of Jesus. I don't know if I said that well. But if, if sin and difficulty in this area affected you, especially pr- prior to being a follower of Jesus, then in coming to find Jesus, there is much love and forgiveness and, and, and renewal and making you and changing you from the inside out. So these biblical grounds for divorce this reluctant concession that allowed for divorce, this Moses permitting but not requiring, we need to also just jump on that for a minute, no matter what the pain, no matter what the even sin that might be involved in breaking the relationship, it doesn't require divorce. Reluctant permission if that sin has devastated things and you're not, to, you're not to need to put up with or endure abuse or be abandoned or, or to experience infidelity of your spouse, there, there is an opportunity there to, 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 to trust God with biblical grounds to end the divorce, I mean, end the marriage. But, but, I'm, but just know it's not required. That's not the only solution necessarily. And I, and I can't say that from experience but, but I can say it that it's God's heart, that that's not the only solution is to end the marriage. Um, yes, our sin might make it uh, difficult for us to remarry, but there are situations where remarriage is okay, where divorce is, is biblical and remarriage is biblical. There are ways where God will work through circumstances and, and bring about a, a new relationship and a new marriage that he um, blesses. I'm not covering every situation. I'm not trying to prescribe for every situation in the room of what should be done or what should not be done or what was okay or what was not okay. If you have questions, seek God. Study the Bible. Talk with a believer. Seek wise counsel to learn what God has for you related to this topic. So, All right. <laughs> wow. So there's a lot to absorb there. And, and I know that it's difficult for some or many. I know it stirs up a lot of garbage, possibly. But I said at the beginning that despite a hard topic, what I hoped we would hear from God's word and hopefully out of my mouth is, is that the passage and, and God's word in total is, is giving his ideal, his best, his good purposes for marriage. That, the good purpose, that his good purpose for marriage is monogamous, intimate, and enduring, lasting. And so, and so the heart of the passage is that anything less than that is a departure from God's good plan and his purposes. 
in God's word, marriage and love are for the tough-minded, the committed, those willing to do the work. And so instead of asking the question of, of how do we get out of it, what might be easier, where's the loophole, I hope we leave this morning asking the questions instead of how do we stay together? How, by the grace of God, does our marriage endure, monogamous, intimate, and enduring? What is, and this one, this one, this one, this one, this, this question, what does God have for us even through the pain and the trial? What if, what if God's best for us is not on the other side of getting a divorce? What if God's best for us is seeing the marriage through even in difficulty? What if God's best for us is on the other side of the pain and the tension and the learning and the growing? And by the grace of God, can we see a marriage through? So um, what would you recommend? And we, you know, we won't, won't share out loud right now, but I want you to be thinking, because you have opportunities to, to, to interact with people around you, to love people around you. What would you recommend to building a marriage? What, what would come to your mind about ways to see it through? What would, advice would you give to couples around you? What advice have you received and been blessed by? to sticking things out, to making things work, to seeing God's best purposes for marriage prevail in our life. Um, What are some of the things that come to your mind? Jot those down. Be ready to encourage people around you with, with God's heart for marriage and with how to build marriage and strengthen marriage and carry it forward. You know, there's a ton that we could think. I'm sure there's some coming to your mind. And there was many that came to my mind this week more than I could possibly mention. But, you know, take divorce off the table. Take divorce out of the vocabulary. As best you can, depending on your circumstances and depending on everything we already just taught, but is is the D word even an option in your vocabulary? Uh, the, other, the other thing over the years I love talking about in terms of strengthening marriages is, is to be friends. Be friends. There's plenty in the Bible that teaches about marriage, but there's also a ton in the Bible that talks about friendship. And, and, and we can apply what the Bible teaches about friendship to marriage. And you want to talk about a good way to make sure that marriage is, uh, is monogamous, intimate, and, and enduring be good friends. Invest in your friendship. And not just in the, in the dating days when you're trying to win. And not just in the new, win each other. I didn't mean win the battle. I meant win each other. And, and not just in the newlywed days where you're trying to, you know, be on good behavior and impress everybody. Be friends now. Build a friendship for the future. Invest in the relationship. You know, earlier we talked about some of those stressors. Um, and you could, you could come up with a list a mile long of things that are stressors for marriage. And, and so certainly a way to invest in your marriage would be to, to fight against some of those stressors, to get help in some of those stressful areas, to look for resources, you know, financial coaching or parenting skills or training, or go see a professional counselor. 
Go see a professional counselor individually or together to get to the roots of the dysfunction and selfishness and what's underneath me acting the way I act. Um, get to the roots of what's behind the other marriage stressors like addiction and, and, and workaholism and adultery. Don't skip being intimate. Invest in your friendship by being intimate. Work at it. Work at your marriage. Build your friendship. Forgive. Communicate. Forgive. Encourage. Forgive. Consider others more than yourself. And here's the last little practical one. Um, I, couldn't, I, was, I couldn't help but mention this this morning for a couple of reasons. Uh, thinking about preparing to officiate a wedding and having the, had the privilege of officiating weddings in the past. I wanted to mention this, but also even just think about attending a wedding. Have you ever attended a wedding? What is our role when we attend a wedding? Witness. What is your role? Think about that when you've attended weddings in the past and think about it the next time you do. What is your role when you attend a wedding? To get the free food. Okay, yeah, but no, that's not what I'm talking about. To enjoy the party, to enjoy some dancing, to, to support your friends. Yeah, sure, all those things. But yes, you guys already said it. You're a witness to a holy covenant agreement before God and before witnesses and so as a witness to that marriage, take it serious. Take it serious. And I hope what taking it serious means more often than not for most of you is positive encouragement to the marriages around you. Helping each other be friends, celebrating anniversaries, celebrating and, re and rejoicing and, and encouraging one another toward God's best for marriage. But sometimes taking your role seriously is going to require getting on the phone and making a call you wish you didn't have to make. To try to, to do a, a small part of God working through you to put the brakes on a marriage headed the wrong direction, praying that God might use it to reverse course. Because our God is a God who works forgiveness and healing and renewal and restoration. And there are marriage tensions and failings that recover and don't end in divorce. And so we have an opportunity to take our role as witnesses seriously. I, uh, I certainly took a while up here this morning, and I still couldn't cover every aspect, and I still couldn't address every situation, and I still probably couldn't avoid hurting or offending, I've, and, I'm, and I'm sure I missed something. <laughs> I'm sure there's something that I wish you would have heard but I'm trusting our good God to care for you and his spirit to show you what you need to know from him and to him to take you to his word for answers to your particular circumstance, your particular pain, and what you need 
And what answers from him you need, seek the Lord, study his word, get wise counsel. Know that God's heart is for marriage, monogamous, intimate, and enduring. And anything departing from that is a departure from God's good plan and purposes. Yet God is full of grace. And love and forgiveness, no matter where you fall on all those experiences, instead of looking for a way out, may God, by his grace and strength, help us see through. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, our great God, who reveals himself as a loving father. We need you now. Because apart from you, we are broken and hurting. On this side of eternity, in this earthly journey, we endure pain and trial and suffering of all kinds. And so, God, we are so thankful that you reveal yourself as a loving father. May we turn to you now. May we lift our eyes to you now. May we kneel at your feet dependent on you more and more. And God, we thank you for life, true, rich, full, abundant, meaningful life that is available to us now and forever through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you showed your love for us in that while we were still stuck in our sin and experiencing the pain of this world, that you sent Jesus to us to be our rescuer to forgive and make us right and bring us into your family. So God, we thank you for life in Jesus. God, would you help us not to look to humans to do what you need to do in our lives? Would you help us not to depend on a spouse or a parent or a friend for our value or our worth or our identity? Would you help us not look to other humans for what we can only find in you? Thank you for the cross where you reconciled sinful me to perfect you. Thank you for the cross where Jesus willingly gave it all so that we could find healing and salvation. Thank you that Jesus is the fulfiller, that he shows us your heart, that there are rules to obey and grace to be experienced. God, we thank you for being a loving father, full of grace, grace that forgives, grace that helps us to live in the now, and grace that gives us hope for the future. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him, to our great God, to our heavenly Father, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.